Welcome to the Citizens Youth Sermon Podcast. We are a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church and a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit nwgospel.com slash citizens. Amen, amen. It's good to be with you guys tonight, Wednesday night. What's up, citizens? Woo! What's up? Wednesday night, best night of the week. It's good to be here with you guys. I've been looking forward to this night. I've been looking forward to every Wednesday for the past couple Wednesdays. It's good to be here with you guys today. And uh, we've plugged it a couple times. And one more shameless plug. I am so excited for conference. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, I'm really excited for everything we got going on. It is next weekend, which is absolutely insane. We're doing a special thing. Uh, I hope you heard it on the way in. Uh, We're doing a special thing. If you register by this Friday night, you're going to get entered into a drawing. And if you win, one lucky person in their small group, they get a VIP section. So it's going to be pretty cool. All right. Sound cool? Sound interesting enough to sign up before Friday? Yeah? Yeah? Okay, cool. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm 46. Psalm 46. And uh, that's where we're going to be tonight. We're in our third week of a three-week series that we're calling Refuge. And um, I'm really excited to open up God's Word with you. I'm uh, excited to get here. Uh, First of all, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Noah. I'm realizing I'm meeting brand new people every single week. God has really been blessing us here. We've, if, if you're brand new, I just wanted to say welcome. Uh, this is Citizens. We are a community of students learning to live for Jesus Christ. And so if that's something you want to be a part of, you are welcome here. And uh, thanks so much for joining us. All right, Psalm 46. The past couple weeks, past two weeks, we've been uh, seeing how God has described himself in his word as a refuge and strength. We've been seeing that it doesn't matter uh, what is facing us in life, whether it would be uh, the political uh, forces or uh, uh, the forces of nature, God has described himself as a refuge for his people in times of trouble. We saw week one, he says he's very present help in times of trouble. And because of that, we do not have to fear. And last week we saw that he is dwelling in a perfect place and he's prepared a place for us, the habitation of the most high. We've been seeing constantly over and over again that this phrase, the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. And tonight after looking at chaos, after looking at some confusion, after seeing it in the scriptures tonight, we're gonna see a perfect image of God's peace. We're gonna be seeing peace that God brings to all those who love him and all those that have put their faith and trust in him. So we're gonna be seeing peace tonight and how God ushers in peace and God ushers in himself as a refuge. But we are also gonna see a commandment here tonight. We're gonna be seeing a very specific commandment for his people. God provides refuge for his, peace, uh, for his people, but he also gives us, his people, a command. He gives us a clear commandment, and when we follow this commandment, we get to experience the blessing of being close with him. We get to experience the blessing of his refuge. When we don't follow God's commandments, it typically doesn't really go well for us. So we're going to dive in and look at it together. Let's pray really, really quickly. I love praying. We pray all the time here. We're going to do it one more time before we open up God's word. God, thanks for this day. Thank you for uh, the opportunity to be here, to um, 
deliver this truth, God. I pray that you would um, hide whatever would be my opinion or my perspective, God, and you would simply uh, deliver what you have determined as truth, God. Thank you so much uh, for these students, for this community, and God, thank you for everything that we're gonna see you do in the next couple days. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, we're gonna be in verse eight tonight. Verse eight starts off like this. It says this, Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Your passage might say, uh, your, your passage might say shields in that. Come behold the works of the Lord. This beginning part, this is a commandment to uh, the person who is listening. So uh, it's important to remember that the uh, Psalms, the Psalms that are here in scripture uh, are poems. And often this poetry would be recited out loud and there'd be a rhythm, there'd be a flow. And in the original Hebrew, sometimes the language would rhyme. And so it's important to keep in mind that uh, this would have been something that God's people would have spoken out loud to each other to encourage one another, to remind each other of the truths of what God has done for them. And this opening line, come behold the works of the Lord. It's an invitation into remembering everything that God has done. And what has he done? He's brought desolations on the earth. He's made war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. The psalm is recording God's epic power and how he has destroyed weapons of war intended to bring destruction. Now let's talk real quickly about God's character here. Right? We talked a little bit briefly about it uh, last week. Uh, God's character we've seen all throughout Scripture as a loving, as a holy, as a just God. And so it's important to remember and look at the Scripture. And when we see it, we think, wow, that sounds kind of intense. That, signed a, that seems like kind of epic. God's just bringing desolation on the earth. Wait, what, is, what does that specifically mean? Well, first of all, remember God's character, right? Who God has revealed himself to be to us. We've seen that he's loving, he is just. But in the midst of that, we also have, uh, we know that God is not an angry God. He's not a vindictive God. He's not a bully. He's graciously defending his people in this passage, right? This is God's people shouting out and declaring that the Lord has destroyed the things that were set to destroy them. The Lord has destroyed these images of war, spears, chariots, these things that would come do harm to the people of Israel. The Israelites are proclaiming that God has made those things cease. God has made those things stop. God has brought desolation on the earth. That's our first point tonight. Our first point tonight is uh, the reality that, excuse me, I might have skipped this over. That's my bad. I think I accidentally messed up my slides. That's all right. Our first point tonight is uh, that God's power is greater than our fears. God's power is greater than our fears. There it is. I was just dumb. I don't know how to work this thing yet. Everyone forgive me, all right? God's power is greater than our fears. So we're looking at this passage. We see what it says here. It says how the Lord has brought desolations on the earth, how he makes the wars cease to the end of the earth. And maybe you're sitting in this room right now and you're thinking, that sounds like a little intense. Like I'm in seventh grade, that sounds really intense to me, right? 
What does this mean to me? What, is, what does this actually mean? It sounds pretty intense for somebody who's never had a spear thrown at them, right? Like raise your hand. If you've ever had a spear thrown at you, you've been inhaled. I don't believe any of you guys, right? No? Some of you guys are like, my brother threw a football at my head. No, I'm talking about a spear that's flying at you and that impales you, right? None of us have woken up to the reality of chariots surrounding our city, uh, bent, on bent on destruction, bent on causing harm. But we keep in context that this passage would have meant something very, very different to the people who are reciting it. Because for the people of Israel, this would have been personal, right? The images of uh, war, the images of chariots, the images of destruction, it would have been personal. Either they would have seen it firsthand or maybe their, uh, the generation ahead of them would have recited it to them, just the stories of how uh, God's people were constantly under threat of annihilation. And so when it says that God makes all these things cease, he is protecting his people. He is bringing end to destruction that would befall upon them. So when the Israelites spoke these words to each other, it should have been an encouragement. It should have been something that they would have been blessed by. So ultimately, at the end of this, this is uh, professing God's ultimate power over anything that will befall upon his people. And because that's really good news for us today, right? Because fast forward throughout time, fast forward through where we are sitting right now, we know that God is still protecting his people. God's still calling and protecting his people from things that would bring them harm. Making wars cease. The Lord is ushering in peace for his people. We've been seeing the chaos of the past couple verses. We've been seeing how the, the world can be messed up. The world can be torn apart. But here in this uh, beautiful imagery, in this beautiful language, we see God himself ushering in peace in a way that only he can. God alone is enough for us to bring in peace. God alone is enough for us in order to receive peace. God came to bring peace to all of us. God came to bring peace, to calm your heart in the midst of the storms that would show up in your life. And we have access to that peace. And even today, God is destroying the things that are set to destroy us. If you think about this really quickly, you think about Jesus Christ, who uh, uh, was God in the flesh. He came to the earth to wage war on what? Sin and death. And so if you have put your faith and trust in him tonight, then friends, you have protection against the spiritual attacks. God, you have protection against the things that would befall upon you. The reality of sin, the reality of eternal separation from God, God has destroyed all of those things with his power. It's absolutely incredible. God is ushering in peace. The things that would cause destruction, the things that would cause problem, he makes them absolutely cease. What confidence the Israelites would have had, right? Like what confidence would these uh, people had walking around knowing that the God of the universe was on their side and that the God of the universe is able and ready to cause all things that would cause destruction to simply cease, right? What confidence. So my question for you today is, maybe you're not scared of chariots or spears, right? Like Camus and Washougal aren't gonna go to war with each other anytime soon, I don't think. 
right? Like you're not, you don't have to worry about being impaled. But what fears do we have right now in our lives? I mean, maybe, I don't know. What fears do we have right now in our lives that we're holding on to that we can't quite seem to let go? We have some things in our heart that are still raging, even though the Lord has promised peace. Do you have something like that in your heart today? Because I'm here to tell you that God alone is enough for us in times of need and in times of fear. Is there something that you're holding on to right now? Because uh, take encouragement from what this passage says, that he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. Jesus Christ, God's son, making a way for us to have the consequences of sin and death be eliminated, absolutely destroyed. And he ushers in peace for us today. How cool is that? How cool is that to know? So we know this power. We see this power on display. What are we supposed to do? So we talked about God's power and now we're talking about what is it that we are supposed to do in response to this? Looking down at verse 10, it says this, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted amongst the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Now we have uh, the continuing on of the commandment here. It's just an absolutely uh, incredible commandment here. Be still and know that I am God. So our first response, our first part of this commandment that God gives us is to what? Be still. Be still. The text here shows us that the writer, it's really interesting. I don't know if anyone picked up on it. Uh, the text here has quotation marks in it now. It didn't have it before. And now verse 10, it says, be still and know that I am God because this is God directly speaking towards his people. And this is in the form of a commandment. This isn't a suggestion. This isn't, I hope you guys are still and know that I'm God. It says, be still and know that I am God. God is speaking again of his power, saying that he'll be exalted among the nations. He'll be exalted among the earth, everything that would befall upon us. It doesn't matter at the end of the day because God's gonna have the final say. But in the meantime, what are we supposed to do as believers? The first part is be still and know that I am God. This is kind of crazy, right? Like this is a countercultural commandment for us in the 21st century right now. Be Still, be still. God's people have been called to respond in a holy peace in times of trouble and in times where he is ushering in peace himself. When the spears are being sharpened or when he is breaking the spears, God has called his people to be still and know that he is God. Be still. God's people aren't supposed to be running towards their military leaders. They're not supposed to be running to hype up their armies when this is happening. God himself is ushering in the peace. And the thing that his people are supposed to do is to just sit back and know that he is God. How often, I mean, this is, like I said, this is so countercultural. How often are we today in our culture, in our American culture, praising people uh, like CEOs, praising people like um, just uh, athletic stars, praising people who have this incredible work ethic, right? Like if you're describing a hero, like one of your heroes to someone or somebody in American culture that's like really popular or really cool, you might use words like, oh, that person is just so competitive, right? Like, like uh, that person has this incredible, incredible work ethic. 
Like it just seems like whatever that person puts their mind to, they just keep going. That person could get other people to do things for them. They just have this incredible leadership skill, this like this and that, and this person knows how to work. They know how to just absolutely accomplish whatever they want to. But how often do we praise people and we get excited when people are just like still? Like how often do you talk about your hero and you say, they just have like a peace about them. They just are kind of chill, you know? They're just absolutely relaxed. It's countercultural, but that's what God is calling us to be when we are faced with the reality of what he is doing. It's hard to be still in my personal experience when things are going well, right? And I also, in my experience, it's hard to be still when things aren't going well. It's even harder to be still when things aren't going well. Like if things are going great, if I have a, you know, a great trajectory for my life, I have a great um, plan for my week and my month and everything's going well and nothing seems to be befalling on, upon me, I still have a hard time being still, right? And sometimes when things aren't going well, when chaos is befalling upon me, I feel like I have to pick up the pace even more in that situation. I feel like I have to work even harder when there's chaos. And in both situations, we see God's commandment to us is to be still. Be still. What does it mean to be still in our own lives? When we're still, we're relinquishing, excuse me, relinquishing all control from our hands. When we're still, we are uh, halting all of our physical, emotional, and mental efforts. And when we're still, we're saying, God, you are enough for me in this situation. It's an act of faith. It's an act of faith. Oftentimes, I feel like um, when we are struggling with things or when uh, there's good situations or there's bad situations, I, also, I, I, I often feel like um, in the difficult times, those are the times I need to try my hardest. Those are the times I really need to strive to, uh, to do something and to get out of the situation that I'm in. And uh, I was thinking about this today. Uh, how, how many of you guys have seen this thing? It's like a finger trap thing, right? Does anyone know what this is? Is this ancient? Is this like old school stuff? So I'm thinking if this was your first time doing one of these finger traps, what happens the first time that you do this? Even if you don't know, like the first time you do it, you think that the harder you pull, right? The easier it's gonna get and it's gonna be, if only I tried harder to, right? If I just like did, okay. Maybe if someone grabbed my elbow, if someone grabbed this, right? And the reality is when we're striving, when we're fighting, when we're exhorting all of our efforts, when we're exhorting all of our energy, it's actually making it harder for us. How often uh, do we exhort our energy and our efforts and our striving for things when God is telling us the whole time to simply be still, right? The less we strive, the easier it's going to be. It's absolutely countercultural. The more we strive on our own strength, the more we fight for ourselves, the less we're relying on God's power and the harder and harder it gets for us when God is simply telling us to first what? Be still. Can I confess something to you? I'm like super bad at this. I'm really bad at just being still. And I know it kind of sounds like a humble brag. It's like, oh, I must be so busy. He's working all the time. No, I'm saying it's, like, it's bad. I can't be still. And it, 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 it's really funny, actually, the perfect example of it was me this past week. 
Like this, this past week, I was really striving. I was really trying hard to accomplish a lot of things, right? I was trying my hardest to uh, get ready for the week for a conference and for, uh, for uh, this message and for everything that my wife and I are doing in our new apartment. And I was just like, I can get it all done. I can do all these things. And for whatever reason, when I started to prepare this message, I was like kind of struggling with it. I'd like open up my Bible. I'd sit down in my office. I'd be like, okay, what does the text mean? How does it apply to today? Uh, what is uh, some of the truths that applied to the people who were writing it that apply to us as well? And I was like, I just need to do this thing. I need to accomplish this thing. And for some reason, I was having a hard time with this passage, right? I was striving so hard. I was trying to work so hard. And I was like, man, why can't I get it? Why can't I just work hard enough to figure out how I can teach students how to be still? And then it hit me. I'm like, oh my goodness. I'm so stupid. And I wasn't exactly in the position to be teaching you guys how to be still, right? And I had to have a moment in my office and then just in the peace and quiet to be absolutely still in front of the Lord and where I would just sit, right? I wasn't with God asking God for things. I was just enjoying his presence. It's it's my favorite part of the week, honestly, so far. So my question to you today is, when your troubles come, when there are things in your life that cause you fear or concern, like we've seen all throughout this passage, are you striving harder than you have before, or are you simply being still? Because when you're still, you're admitting that God is enough for you. God is enough for you. So even better than that, do you have a rhythm of stillness in your life right now? Do you have a rhythm of stillness in your life? Is there a time set out in your day that contains moments where you are just with God, right? Where you are simply being still before him. Or is it one of those things where like your day is pretty chaotic. If I get to it, it'll be at the end of the day. Like as I'm conveniently falling asleep, that's pretty peaceful, right? Or is there a specific time? Do you have a rhythm of stillness in your life? Think about it. Think about your day. Think about when you wake up. Think about when you go to bed. There needs to be a time where we, God's people, can be still before him. Friends, being still is an act of faith because uh, when we are being still before God, we are admitting, God, you are powerful enough to protect me from anything that would cause me harm. God, you are powerful enough. You're strong enough to keep me safe from any harm and you're powerful enough to bring me to where I need to go. It's an act of faith, friends. It's an act of faith. So do you have a rhythm of it? Do you have a rhythm of being still? Because being still allows for intimacy with God. Being still allows us to commune with God in a way that is very, very personal. And our first step to being close with God and being in God's presence is to simply turn down the dials of noise, right? If you've ever seen a soundboard like up in the sound booth, you, they have all these dials. And so often I feel like us as believers or even just us as uh, young people trying to live in the 21st century, we have all these dials turned way up, right? Schoolwork, friends, uh, uh, different responsibilities, part-time job, whatever. We have all these things turned up. Is there, a, is there a, a section of your day where you can just turn those dials down and be close and intimate with God. It's a commandment. 
We've seen that God, he is uh, ushering in peace by destroying things that would destroy us. And he brought us his son and his son is ushering in peace in our hearts. But this is the commandment. This is the first part of our commandment. Our response to God's power is what? To be still. And what's the second part? What is after that? Be still and know that I am God. Our second response, be still and what? Know that I am God. So who's God? Who's God in this? It says, I am God. When we confidently say this statement, we say, God, you are God and I am not. It seems so obvious to be like, yeah, of course he's God. But when we are confidently in his presence and we say, God, you are God, it's what? It's taking any sort of false perception that we were God or were in control and putting it back to him. That's what we do when we say, uh, when we say, God, you are God and I'm not. We know him. When we admit his God is God, we confess that we are not him and we are surrendering all towards him. I like this word here to know. To know is, uh, to know God is to be close with God, Right? To know God is to know his character. It's to know uh, his attributes, to know what he's done and what he has said he's going to do in the future. And in our stillness, when we settle down and when we put the rush and noise of our lives down, we are told to know God. I think it's pretty incredible that uh, God not only has made himself known, right, to people. Like that would have been cool enough if God was just like, here I am, I'm God. We're like, whoa, what the heck? That's amazing. Not only did God make himself known, he wants us to know him personally. A close personal relationship. There's a difference between knowing about God and knowing him personally. And what the text here is calling to, the commandment that God is reminding us of, is to be still and know that I am God. It's to know him personally. And God is inviting every single person in this room to know him personally. God doesn't just give us a classroom and a textbook so we can know about him, so we can pass a quiz about him, right? He didn't just give us those things. Uh, God gave us an epic story of his love through his word. God gave us one another to encourage one another, to spur each other on to love and good works. And God also gave us himself in the form of his Holy Spirit so we could what? So we could know him. So we can know him personally. It's absolutely incredible. And friends, this is a commandment. This is a commandment from God, right? We see the first part of the first verse, come behold the works of the Lord. We're professing the truth of what God has done, professing that he has ushered in peace, that he has destroyed things that would destroy us. And our response to that truth is to simply be still and know that he is God. So how can we know God more, right? How can we know God more? Well, one, I think we know him through his word. We know God through his word. I love it, and, and I'm not making fun of you if you've ever thought this. I've thought this plenty of times in my life. Uh, there's certain times when people are talking to me and they say something along the lines of, man, if only God had just like come down from like heaven or in the clouds or something, and only if he would just come and talk to me, then I think I would know, right? Only, if God only came down to our level, and to spoke with us and to told us exactly what to do, then I would believe, then I would really know God. And part of me wants to be like, yeah, he kind of already did that, right? 
God already made himself known through his word. And if you believe that these words are true, he is able and he has already spoken to us through his word. So do you have time with him every single day? Do you have a section of your day dedicated to spending time in his word so we can be still and know him? So I think that's the first thing. I think we can know him through his word. Obviously, that's the, uh, the most clear one. Also, I think we can know God through his people, right? I think we can know God through his people. I think it's really uh, incredible to see people um, display God's attributes, right? When somebody is acting out the fruits of the spirit, we kind of get a better glimpse into who God is and what he wants to accomplish, right? When someone is acting loving, when someone is acting kind, inspired by God's spirit, we kind of get a perfect glimpse. We, gotta, we get a little bit of a glimpse, excuse me, into who God is. And so when you're in a community of people who are living and learning to be like Jesus, right here in Citizens, shout out, we are able to know God more, when we turn down the noise, when we put other things aside and we prioritize time with God's people, then we can know God more. We know God through his word and we know God through his people. What else? We know God through his spirit. I've mentioned this a couple times. If you're a believer, if you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then the spirit of the living God now dwells with you. But of course, the first step here, it says, be still and in that stillness, we can listen to his word, his people, and then his spirit. I think those are three uh, quick things that I thought of. So friends, the reality is that the, the things that have caused us concern, the things that have caused us pain, the things that would confuse us throughout life, God has shown up and he has made a way for us to experience perfect peace. As we're closing up here and as the band is gonna come join me here on stage in, in a second, I want you to think, I want you to think about this idea of being with God. When we stop, when we're still before the Lord, when we pray, when we ask for help, and when we remember and know that God is God and we are not, we relinquish all control out of our hands. We relinquish all ideas of us being able to provide for our self-refuge. We relinquish all ideas of us being able to accomplish the things that we need. And we say, God, we are here for you. When we are still before him, right, what his commandment says, when we're still before him and we know that he is God, that's when we experience the refuge of his perfect peace. That's when we experience the reality of his refuge. And when we experience, when we do what he has said, when we're still before him, when we are knowing that he's God and we're not, when we do that, then we can confidently say what verse 11 says. We can say to ourselves, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The God, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's an incredible phrase. It's been repeated now. It's important enough to be repeated. So it's here in verse 11. It was also verse seven. The Lord of hosts, the idea of, the, of God um, hosting, there are angels, there's multitude of angels in heaven that are surrounding the Lord right now and saying, holy, 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 the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is something very, very personal for the Israelites, right? 
Jacob uh, being the one that God chose to help lead and guide and, and, and to found the nation of Israel, the God of Jacob, something personal, right? He is our fortress. So friends, the commandment, the, the, the reality is clear. God has ushered in peace. God has destroyed the things that would cause us destruction. And he's commanded us to be still and know that he is God. Our response is to be still and know that he is powerful enough to protect us from things that would befall. And as we're closing here, and as we're taking a moment, I just want you to reflect as, as the band comes up and as we are about to enter in a time of prayer, I want you to reflect on certain things in your life right now that maybe would be a bit chaotic, right? I want you to be thinking about maybe some things that would uh, cause you pain, that would cause you chaos, and I want you to think about these words and to think about the reality of God destroying the things that would befall upon us. Be still and know that I am God. Be still and know that I am God. God's works throughout history, throughout his word, they've proven it. And he himself is enough for us. Him right now, he himself is enough for us. So whatever may cause you pain, whatever may cause you trouble, if we follow this commandment to be still and know that God is God, he is enough for us. And when we believe that, when we grasp onto that truth, when we live like that truth is real, then we can experience the refuge that he provides for us. Amen? Amen. I love that. Let's pray together as the band's up here. God, thanks for this day. Thank you for the reality that you have made it possible for us to be with you, one. But God, you have made the wars that would rage in our hearts and our lives to cease. God, we're so thankful that even when things would concern us, we know that ultimately your son, if we put our faith and trust in you, we know that your son has caused the things that would bind us, those things that would separate from us from you to completely cease. God, I pray right now for the burdens that some people are carrying into this room. God, I pray that you would uh, remind them this week of your commandment to be still and to know that you are God. God, I pray that we would relinquish all sense of control. We would relinquish all sense of us striving and trying to do the things that you have already done and you are currently doing, God. I pray that if there's a, a way a conviction of someone's heart right now, God, whether it's to spend more time with you through your word, spend more time with you through community or through your spirit, God, I pray that you would make that known to our students right now. God, thank you for being the God who pursues us. Thank you for being a, a God who wants to be with us, who has made a way for us to be with him. Help us this week to be still. Let our striving cease. Let are the things we're focusing on, the noise that would surround us in our lives, God. Help us turn down those things and help us to focus on you, to be still and know who you are. It's all this I pray, Lord, in Jesus' name.